When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're just three days away, three days away from the one game that will separate the Bengals from Super Bowl 57, and that's the AFC Championship game at Arrowhead Stadium. The intensity is picking up. If it hasn't already, the trash talk is real. The bulletin board material is up, and we couldn't be more excited. Welcome into another postseason preview edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast. Muhammad Ahmad back at it with you with Mike Nislik. Andrew Gillis has a day off. We're going to be joined by our special guest, a.k.a. Cleveland.com contributor Lance Reisland, who knows a lot about coaching because, well, he's a former coach himself, so... That's self-explanatory. Uh, and folks, if you haven't already, sign up for Cincinnati Football Insider. Go to cleveland.com slash Bengals. Click at that blue banner at the top of the page. It's a free trial to start. And if you want to stick with it, it's $4.99 a month. You'll get subscriber-exclusive podcasts, photos, stories, and we'll give you information before it hits Twitter and even more details that won't even get to social media. So make sure you sign up. Again, cleveland.com slash Bengals. Click on that blue banner at the top. Just to give you a little injury report update, of course, uh, no Alex Kappa, no Jonah Williams practicing on Thursday. Um, they, since it's Thursday, there's a good chance we may not see them play Sunday, which means the Bengals are going to continue riding with Jackson Carmen and... I almost lost my train of thought. Max Sharping at right guard. Um, and then Trey Flowers is trending in the right direction. He was a full go in practice. DJ Reader, Sam Hubbard, who both rested a little bit Wednesday. They were a full go. Um, an interesting thing popped up on the injury report, though. Hayden Hurst, uh, who had a calf injury back in December, uh, he was limited. Although I don't know if it's anything serious. We'll get more from Zach Taylor on that on Friday. Uh, but he was limited. He was a full participant. Wednesday, so we'll see how well he holds up Friday, if it's just a rest thing or if there's something else. Um, same thing with Patrick Mahomes uh, for the Chiefs. He was a full go on Wednesday. He was a full go on Thursday. All signs indicating that, well, he was going to play anyway, but indicating that he's looking better and better um, as he deals with that high ankle injury that he dealt with against the Jaguars last weekend. And before we get into Mahomes and uh, dissecting him and what makes him good, which I think is going to be the main thing we talk about, and I'll be talking with Lance about this, Mike, you had a very interesting story that you wrote. For those who haven't read it, it's it's on cleveland.com slash bangles. You wrote about how Zach Taylor has basically mastered the pregame meeting, whether it be with uh, his own personal touch, whether it be with movie clips he's shown, like the movie Gladiator, which we've heard Joe Burrow and Joe Mixon talk about, uh, including Jesse Bates. I think that was probably one of the better movie clips he's shown. You know, uh, he's been so unique in how he uh, gets his team ready with the right message and the right mood. Kind of talk about what went into putting that story together and what really sticks out to you about the way Zach Taylor just conducts his business as a coach from a player personnel standpoint. Well, yeah, I think uh, two of the last three weeks, it's been kind of uh, an important um, part of kind of um, what's kind of transpired, especially after that uh, Buffalo game. Um, obviously, I think team morale took a hit uh, just because of what they witnessed with DeMar Hamlin, uh, the playoff stuff right sort of, you know, on a Friday, right before they kind of go into the weekend. Um, and so he did something different, uh, showed a movie clip, like you mentioned, Gladiator, but with the uh, players and coaches, um, had some a couple of the video uh, staffers kind of work on it and and put them superimpose them on the different images uh, from Ridley Scott's Gladiator because um, what 
Uh, the pregame meeting is most weeks is if they win, he gives a speech and introduces the highlights from the previous week. So the game was canceled. They had no highlights. That was their sort of highlight package. Uh, them sort of attacking, you know, the Tigers and the <laughs> opposing gladiators. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie, it's uh, it, it was one of the more intense uh, fight scenes. Um, and then two weeks later with the Buffalo uh, game, you know, he flat, his, his speech kind of focused on, um, which is a rarity, usually focuses on their own team, focused on Buffalo's success, 13-1 record at home, uh, best winning percentage in NFL history at, in, in playoff games at home. Um, and sort of really in terms of the defense, the defense kind of credited it, you know, for really lighting a fire uh, for them and, and coming out like they did, obviously forcing two, three and outs right away, holding Buffalo to 10 points. Um, but if you kind of go back, uh, you know, the last couple of years, um, he's had just sort of the right ability. Um, Brian Callahan had referred to it as masterful, um, to way to read the team and, and tailor that sort of message to what they need to hear. It's very short, uh, which uh, a couple of veterans, DJ Reader and Ted Karras both said, like, that's maybe the best part of it, which is funny. Um, but he said, uh, yeah. Reader said, Dabo used to go on forever. Uh, that didn't make the story good um, and Ted Karras, you know, like Belichick would go on for 30 minutes about technical stuff. So this is really to the point, uh, uh, precise is how it was described. Um, and just it, it's something that I found interesting in terms of these are different players of different ages, different backgrounds, different uh, parts of the country that, you know, one of the things to, to do and to establish a culture and bring these guys together, I think uh, Zach's kind of been a key piece of that the last two years, and that's kind of – uh, those uh, pregame speeches are sort of an extension of that. I think what's so interesting to me too, Mike, about the the morale, and you know, it is good timing, like you said. I think with everything with Demar Hamlin, you know, what happened to him and his situation, as unfortunate as it was, I think there was kind of a timing that came with, you know, bringing in that kind of speech, you know, those creative type techniques. I think that really made a lot of sense there. But what interests me, and I think is a notable kind of difference is like with the offense they don't really seem to take criticism personal like other than maybe Joe Mixon saying you know we're the big dogs like it's not like he's saying we're the big dogs because other people are attacking the offense it's more so like him just saying that to say that um you know Joe Burrow like he said you know he doesn't let things get to him Jamar Chase Hayden Hurst you know when you saw what happened with Justin Reed saying that you know he was going to lock down 88 when he couldn't even identify who 88 was i mean other than Jamar saying it was tuna in a can, which we're not going to delve into. Like, other than that, there's really not much they take out of that. But, like, you look at the defense and you hear, you know, B.J. Hill saying, hey, we're fairly tough on defense, which was him calling out Tom Brady. Even though I don't think Tom Brady was trying to insult the Bengals' defense by calling them fairly tough, they took it personal. Um, same thing with, uh, I just think, like, with Eli Apple. I know Eli Apple's troll level is... It's unmatched. I don't know that there's anybody in the NFL who can troll the way he does, but, I mean, you kind of heard him talking about Tom Brady as a tap-dancing old man. Um, maybe that goes hand-in-hand with what B.J. Hill talked about, but it seems like with the defense, there's an added fire of, like, you know, that whole they-gotta-play-us mentality. The defense really feeds into that. Do you think maybe the messaging hits the defense a little differently than the offense, or do you think it just depends on the week and the message and the mood? Well, it probably depends on the week. I think why the difference is is because, you know, I've heard Mike Hilton say, you know, uh, we're a bunch of kind of guys that are second thoughts or, or passed over. Um, you know, in terms of the makeup of the defense, it's a little different because obviously uh, on offense you have Jamar Chase, you have uh, a Joe Mixon, you have a Joe Burrow, um, T. Higgins, all guys that they invested sort of high draft picks on. Uh, with the defense, that's not really the case. And so I think when they talk about being slighted, um, they've felt like that sort of throughout their career. A lot of these guys, uh, some of these key veterans are in second spots because they, you know, uh, undervalued on the, their, their previous team. You know, a DJ Reader or a Trey Hendrickson uh, couldn't get that the, the contracts they were looking for. And so I, I think that's part of it. That That's where the difference comes in, where, um, you know, the offense isn't sort of I, – I, I don't think anybody's, you know, other than Willie Gay today that wasn't impressed by the offense, but I don't think anybody's sort of had any criticism of this this group in terms of – 
um, you know, what their ceiling is or how, how talented they are. I mean, everybody knows they're talented. I mean, there was a part of the season where they just weren't playing up to that, but you know, nobody said that, I mean, this team has, you know, one of the more talented offenses in the league, whereas I think the defense feels like they get overlooked uh, in terms of that and, and sort of um, are in, respected in the top echelon. And part of that's some statistics because they don't play to like necessarily shut teams out. I mean, they'll let some yards go, but, um, you know, when you look at the final results, I think obviously this defense has been one of the better uh, defenses in the league, especially in terms of like second half production, limiting teams uh, in the red zone after halftime. I mean, you kind of um, you really have to watch this team, I think, to get a respect for how this defense plays. I think on paper you think, well, it's sort of middling, you know, in terms of statistical kind of comparisons to top defenses. But when you watch them play, uh, you do come away impressed with how they – scheme up an offense, especially in the second half, and kind of take things away. I'm so glad that you say all of that, Mike, because, like, and I'll, you know, I give Andrew a lot of grief for this. Like, his argument is always, well, they don't have the generational player. They don't have the Aaron Donald. They don't have the Brian Urlacher. They don't have the, I don't know, uh, Jalen Ramsey. Like, whatever position you want to pick out. Like, yeah, they don't have that guy. Unless you want to say, you know, they have pro bowlers like Trey Hendrickson, all pros like Jesse Bates. They don't have that. But, like, at the same time, and Dan Horde made an example out of this, like, the other day when I had him on the podcast. Would you rather have one or two first ballot Hall of Famers who are always going to deliver, always pack a punch? Or would you have 11 guys who maybe most of them aren't pro bowlers, maybe most of them aren't all pros, but they will give you what you need to win? Like, Akeem Davis Gaither. That's not a name that most people know about. But he was on national TV making an interception off Tyler Huntley, which made a big difference in that game with how close it was. Same goes with B.J. Hill. He was picked up last year in a trade. He made the interception in the AFC Championship that set up the game-tying touchdown from Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase. Um, you know, you have names like that. And then, obviously, I think D.J. Reed or Von Bell, they're starting to get more recognition. I think it's different. But, like, even then, people didn't know much about Jermaine Pratt. They didn't know much about Logan Wilson. But from a stat standpoint, their tackle totals – are up there at least in the top 10, if not top 15. And you look at what Jermaine Pratt has done in big games, like against Tom Brady, against Patrick Mahomes, stripping Travis Kelsey. Like, the attention is picking up, and I think obviously maybe the the chatter helps with that, like whether it's B.J. Hill or Eli Apple or other guys that I haven't mentioned. Um, Like you said, on paper, I think they know people look at him as, eh, middle of the pack, eh, yeah, they got Hendrickson. But other than that, they're, eh, they're vanilla, but... Nah, the way they've played is anything but vanilla. But as far as the term vanilla goes, that may actually have more to do with the game plan against Patrick Mahomes than we think. And that's because I'm going to sit down with Lance Risland, who I mentioned earlier on the show, who is our contributor, who will talk the X's and O's on how to stop Patrick Mahomes and what went right for Joe Burrow and Joe Mixon against Buffalo. We have that coming up right here on the Strictly Stripes podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. Joining me is Cleveland.com special contributor Lance Risland, the former Garfield Heights high school football head coach. So if you don't know already, I think Lance knows a thing or two about the X's and O's. And what better time to have Lance than to have him break down the X's and O's for this weekend's AFC Championship tilt, which we've talked all week about, unless you've been living under a rock. But Lance, so glad I finally got to meet you. Glad to finally have you on the podcast. First of all, I want to apologize because I should have had you on more often because you have great stuff with uh, Orange and Brown Talk with Dan and Mary Kay and Ashley. So uh, first of all, thank you. And how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Again, thanks for having me. It's been, uh, I've been looking forward to it myself. So uh, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, the feeling is mutual, like you said. And, you know, I know before we got on the podcast, you kind of talked about how Zach Taylor's game plan against Buffalo. I don't know if you 
meant like in general or offensively speaking, but uh, his game plan really impressed you. You know, why do you think that Zach Taylor's game plan against Buffalo was so good? And how does it maybe stick out from, you know, other game plans he's had that have been just successful in his career? Well, you know, for me, everything in football starts up front. So to have three new starters and uh, try to mask those three new starters, uh, even though even though they they did very well, they're new. And to do what they did against a pretty good Buffalo defense was very impressive. And I thought he did a good job of, first and foremost, Burrow got rid of the ball fast. So whether he was a hot read, uh, whether he was checking it down to the backs, he did not hold on to the ball, which set that offensive lineup for success. What I really like what um, the Bengals do is that a lot of times people think for protection is to add more people to protection. But when you get all five guys out, which the Bengals like to do, it actually helps that offensive line. It puts the pressure on Burrow and he's playing at an MVP level. So I think that really helps him in terms of he'll find the matchup. He'll find the check down. He'll find. So if you get five out, it kind of puts the pressure on Burrow, which I think they're pretty comfortable with. Uh, the run game was very good. They did some very good. Um, he, I thought he schemed up some really good things in the run game. Uh, he put that offensive line in a really good um, position to be successful. And then I call it the Ch- Jamar Chase effect. Whether you're throwing it to him or use him as a decoy, uh, Jamar Chase is a guy that gets involved. And I've always been impressed with Taylor that the best guys on his offense always touch the football. Before I get to Chase, because you mentioned the decoy, and I wanted to ask you about some plays where I thought he did a great job as a decoy. Before I get to that, you know, like you said, it does start up front. That was, I think, in my opinion, and I've talked about this on the podcast earlier this week with Andrew, I think that was the biggest thing that made a you know contributing difference in this game. And it's remarkable because you didn't have Jonah Williams, who for all we know, could be out this Sunday. He hasn't practiced at all this week. Probably might not have Alex Kappa without speculating. It just seems like it's trending that way. And you're not going to have Lyle Collins because he's done for the rest of the year. And they did it with Jackson Carmen, a local product from Fairfield, who I don't know if you are familiar with him mm-hmm. uh, being from Ohio, but you know he did a great job at left tackle. Uh, then you had Max Sharping at right guard, Hakeem Adeniji at right tackle. Uh, how impressive were those three specifically? I think we we know what we know about Cordell Volson and Ted Karras, especially Ted Karras being like a true definition of a glass eater. But what did you see from those three that allowed Burrow to get the ball off so quick? Why was that protection holding up so well? Well, again, I think he got rid of the ball quickly. So both in the run and the pass. Again, I go. it goes back to Taylor for me scheming it up. So they did a good job of regardless of what the pass. And, you know, I always think with Jamar Chase, it's not the route tree. It's getting the ball in his hands. So. You know, when he runs, hitches, slants, fades, and back shoulders, he's really good at it. And regardless of what coverage you give him, uh, the ball gets out quick. Those guys were in there, and they were tough. And I think it starts with their ability to pass protect also was the fact that they were running the ball so well. And, you know, the Bengals predominantly this year, me watching film, the Bengals have been a predominant duo um, zone team. And when you run duo or zone, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work in terms of, you know, I talk about it all the time with Dan and Mary Kay and Ashley in terms of, you know, it's two people for the linebacker and it takes a lot of work on where people go. They did some run scheme stuff that was very, that allowed those guys to come off the ball running. Uh, they ran some dart, they ran some counter, they ran some ISO that I have not seen that makes it very simple for that offensive line and allows them to come off the ball running. So now they're running the ball. So now they can't play pass all the time. And it just kind of, they had a really good mix, but those guys played physical. Uh, they pass protected really well, but I think they pass protected really well because they got the run game going and that run game opened everything up and Taylor's scheme, uh, getting to that two eye, he would motion chase and get Milano out of the box and then replace that backer was replaced with Taron Johnson who's a five eleven nickelback. So he got with motion and scheme and formation. He got what he wanted, uh, in the run game to run at the right people. So fantastic job by those guys and Taylor scheming it up. You know, you mentioned Jamar Chase, and I wanted to get to him. So I think he did a great job as a decoy. And a lot of that goes back to the play calling of Zach Taylor, Brian Callahan. And in this case, Frank Pollock, the offensive line coach, who's also the run game coordinator. So that actually goes a lot to Pollock, especially because we're talking about the, the blocking, like you said. There was a few plays where I noticed they gave direct handoffs. Maybe not direct handoffs, but like, you know, they had Chase lined up as a running back as if he was mixing, and he had a few pretty good runs. And I think what really stood out even more than that was the first touchdown where he busted a double coverage. And it looked like the Bills' safeties were kind of like looking at each other like, oh my God, he's wide open. By the time he got the ball, he was in the end zone. They couldn't get to him. Uh, So I guess the first part is 
why was he so effective in regards to the play calling with uh, when it came to Jamar Chase? And number two, I mean, how much of that fell on the Bills? Because I, I think they looked confused. There was some pretty bad miscommunications. I don't think some of those safeties were in the right place at the right time, especially on those first two drives. I mean, what do you make of all of that? Well, you know, when you watch when you watch from last year, so breaking down when the, when they played the Browns, and I'm doing the kind of the preview for the Browns Bengals games. When you early on in his career, he ran four routes. He ran hitch, slant, fade, and back shoulder, and he's been really, really good at it. But he was always lined up out at one. And when you're lined up out at one, you can do a lot of different things. You can double team. Uh, you can play cover two and get the safety over top. Um, you could do a lot of different things in terms of where he's located because he was pretty much on the ball away from the call. What they've done over the last two years is they've moved him around a lot. So they got him in the slot. They got him coming out of the backfield. They're running orbit motion with him. Uh, they're doing a lot of different things to not only get him the ball, but to make it seem like he's getting the ball. And as a defense coordinator, you got to find him. you got to find out where he's at. So now they're putting him at one, two, and three. They're putting him in, the, like I said, the slot a lot more. They're doing some different things with him, which makes it hard to find. And what that does to a defense, it gets you unorganized and it, it makes you blow coverages and you lose uh, run gap responsibilities because those linebackers are now walked out. So what Taylor is doing incredibly, uh, it's fun to watch, is he's putting him in a whole bunch of different spots. So you have to find him. Uh, but what I really like is that regardless of what it is, Jamar Chase is touching the ball and you know he's getting the ball. And that's a credit to those guys because you win with players. You don't win with plays. And I've always said, and I've talked with Dan a lot of this, you win, it's players over plays. And the Bengals do a great job of getting the ball to their players. And Jamar Chase does a great job of winning those man-to-man matchups. I, I don't know that there's many other receivers that can play man-to-man the way Jamar Chase does. And on top of that, you know, he's seen a lot more cover too this year compared to his rookie year because – you know, a lot of teams don't want to make the same mistakes they made last year, and that's just go one-on-one with Jamar Chase, let him beat your man, and then it's just going to literally explode because he can run a freakish 40-yard dash like we saw at the combine. Like, he can just run so fast that you're not going to catch him, and they don't want to make that mistake. And even with the cover two, he still beats a lot of those coverages. Even if he's not exploding, he's still getting first downs. They're still getting the ball downfield. We saw a lot of that against Buffalo, which to go back to the second part, how much of that fell on the Bills? Because, again, I, I think in general on both sides of the ball, they were not very coordinated. They looked very tired. Um, I think there's many reasons to speculate as to how and why. But how much of that fell to the Bills just utterly collapsing on defense? Well, I'm not sure if it was a collapse. I, you know, I like to give credit to the offense, you know, being an offensive guy myself. I, I, I give credit to the uh, Taylor and his offensive staff because they were so – uh, diverse in what they did. So not only, so they come out, they're mostly a duo zone team. They come into this game, they ran dart, they ran counter, they ran ISO, things they haven't really run. So again, the defense is kind of on its heels. Uh, now you're not just having Chase out, out wide. Um, you kind of put him in the slot. You put him at two and, you know, put him at two, put him at three. But then you also have T Higgins, you have Boyd. So what it does is it's hard to balance. It's hard to balance that defense. And if they get the run game going, it makes it very, very tough to cover those guys because if you're playing two high hats and they're running the ball, um, now you only got six, five to six, occasionally six and a half in the box. And that makes it very, very difficult to cover those guys because they're so good. The next thing that makes them different, and without question, as talented as they all are, Joe Burrow makes them different. So his ability to find the matchups and find where he wants to go with the football makes them entirely different. And his ability to run the ball just enough uh, is another added weapon. Um, they're just very, very difficult to deal with. And, and, and it shows because they beat a good Bills team with three backups up front, and they look good doing it. Uh, they're organized. They know what they're doing. Uh, they're in different formations. Uh, they're moving people all the time. They're dictating what the defense does. They change tempo. Uh, Burrow is always getting rid of the ball. He's not, he's protects the football. They're good in the red zone. They're good on third down. So he's making it very, very tough. And as good as all those guys are, um, he's the one that makes them go. He's the one that um, is an MVP type guy because of that. And he's, um, he's special. He's a tough guy to be. It's, it's going to take a really good game by the chiefs to beat him right now. One thing Zach Taylor said, and it's so funny because obviously Zach Taylor is a former quarterback who played in, you know, Nebraska in college. He said the thing that separates Burrow from any other quarterback, including himself, speaking about Taylor, is that Burrow can see the all 22 better than anybody. Just mm -hmm. the way he reads things and how fast he reads it. It's how he reads it and how fast he reads it. Like even Taylor was like, I couldn't even do that. And he kind of chuckled at the at the press conference earlier on Thursday. But um, you know, you're a coach, like you understand the all 22 as well as anybody. Why is Burrow able to do that? Why can't he see the all 22 so much better? And what does Steve's 
Spagnolo and Andy Reid have to do to make sure that Burrow cannot, you know, read out their defense when he's looking at the all 22 on the field? Well, what he's doing, he recognizes, he processes information. So that ability to see what he's seeing, um, there was a couple plays uh, on their second touchdown drive uh, where he hit, it uh, wasn't a big play, but they had constantly getting second and five. So they were second and four to second and six, which is the go, the go uh, number you want as an offensive coordinator. What they're able to do is that, uh, so the Bills went cover two. They tried to cover, they tried to disguise it as one eye hat, safety backed up. Um, they were in man under, so they were, everybody was tight. But what Burrow recognized is that Edmonds now had mixing man, man to man. So instead of, even though Chase came open a little bit late, T. Higgins came open on a dig, what he did was he got the ball to Mixon. And what that does, it just adds tremendous pressure to the defense because now it's second and five. Um, so at second and five, you're at the you're at the mercy of, of an offense, regardless of how good the offense is. And the Bengals offense is very good, but you're at the mercy because now they can run or pass. Now he'll get a little different, um, little different animal this week in terms of up front. Chris Jones got 15 and a half sacks, very, very good tackles for a loss. Uh, Spagnola is going to show them a bunch of different looks in terms of fronts and blitzes. Uh, they're going to show, they're going to simulate four or five, six uh, man pressures, bring four, bring three, bring two. Um, but by doing that, you're going to find matchups. And one of the things I found was last week against um, the Jaguars, um, you know, Kirk got Kirk got open against the uh, Chiefs on a, on a wheel route. And the reason Kirk got open is because they had their defensive men in man coverage. And they were able to, you know, find out – he was able to find that matchup and, and make that touchdown pass. And those are things that Burrow does at, a, at, at as high a level as anybody in the NFL right now. So his ability to process, find the matchup he wants – and remember, and you guys, you guys down there know as, as well as anybody, a matchup with the Bengals skill guys is not going to be good for you if you have a backer or a nickel back or somebody that you don't want on one of those skill guys. You know, you got four high-level guys, and he finds the matchup quickly. So uh, Chiefs are going to have to keep it in front. I still think the best way to, you know, is make Burrow nickel and dime you as much as it, as much <laughs> as it hurts. But if, he, if you give him a chance over top, he's going to take it every time. Like he said, nickel and dime, but I mean, like it's, you're being literal, like whether it's, you know, their nickel or their dime. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're going to have to do that. And, you know, of course it's part of why they got Justin Reed. It's part of why Algeria Sneed, I think was a criminally underrated player, according to all pro standards, like, um, you know, and like, of course you mentioned, you know, Chris Jones, like he's, he's in the defensive player of the year conversation for a reason, you know, Jackson Carmen is going to have to go against Frank Clark, who, you know, in Carmen's case, he actually went against him last year because Carmen played in that game. He played, I think half the total snaps in that game. So luckily for the Bengals, although you don't have Jonah Williams, you have Jackson Carmen, who's familiar with Frank Clark and the techniques he'll try to use to get to burrow, you know, and of course, same goes with, you know, Hakeem Adeniji and whoever else on that side has to deal with uh, Chris Jones, but, I guess to kind of wrap up the offensive side, and then I want to kind of get your thoughts on the defense. You know, if you're Burrow, you're the offensive line, like you talk about Jones, you talk about the pressure they're going to bring. Spagnolo, I mean, this is the fourth time he's faced Burrow, and he has not been able to beat him any single time. He's come close because they've all been one field goal games, but not close enough for a win. Does Spagnolo do anything differently to throw Burrow off rhythm? Well, I think you got to get to have any chance. You got to get Burrow off his spot. So I look for some A, A, B, A and B gap pressures early to try to get him off his spot to get him off rhythm. Um, he gets rid of the ball so quickly. So I, I look for them to try to get A gap pressure um, against the Bengals, and I look for them to play a little bit of press to try to take away the quick game, the hitches, the slants, uh, especially early on, um, to try to get him out of rhythm. He's really, really good, but when he gets in rhythm, he's dangerous. So it's it's the idea of trying to take away early on trying to take away those quick throws and trying to get A and B gap pressure to try to get him off his spot, try to get him out of the pocket a little bit. Even though he's good outside the pocket, it's kind of pick your poison. You'd rather have him on the run outside the pocket than inside getting rid of the ball quick. They got to get, you know, the Chiefs got to get their hands up because they get rid of the ball so quickly. They got to, they got to be physical with the line of scrimmage with those receivers. Um, those are all advantages right now I see for the Bengals in terms of uh, why they've been unable to stop uh, the Bengals offense. Wow, you summed it up in a nutshell. But you know, when you're a coach, that's what you do. But uh, Lance, or I guess I guess I'll call you Coach Rising because I feel like I'm interviewing a coach right now. Um, we talked so much offense, but I do want to make sure we talk about the defense a little bit from the Bengals' perspective. I mean, you've got two 
I also believe criminally underrated linebackers with Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt, who I think it's a shame neither of them were voted to the Pro Bowl or made all pro selections, especially when you consider the fact that like Wilson is making a case for being the leader of the defense, given he's the green dot pretty much every game. You know, the thing I've talked with Dan Horde about the voice of the Bengals is, yeah, you don't have your generational elite talent unless you have like, a, say, you know, you have a pro bowler like Trey Hendrickson. You have an all pro like Jesse Bates. Like you have some pro bowl, all pro talent, but you don't have like an Aaron Donald or a Jalen Ramsey or just someone at any respective position who just blows your socks off like a Brian Erlacher, for example. But that doesn't matter because they also don't have a weak link. They may not have that elite talent, but they don't have a weak link. How underrated and talented do you believe that this Bengals defense is? And what is going to be the key to doing everything you said about Burrow, but in the case of Patrick Mahomes? Well, the first thing you said, you said it best. So they have they have a guy at each level who is pretty high level, Pro Bowl caliber. Um, the, the thing I like about the Bengals uh, is that their togetherness. They play as a unit. So that unit defensively is very well coached. They keep things in front of them. Um, they're rarely out of they're rarely out of position. So when you watch the all twenty two and you watch the end zone copy and you watch that red uh, watch that uh, run game uh, that they're going against, rarely do they have an open gap. Now they miss tackles like everybody else does, but they're well schooled. Their gap integrity. They keep things in front. They bear, they rarely blow coverages. Uh, that's a credit to the communication in the second level. Um, I think one of the strengths of them is their ability to run. Those guys can all run. Their defensive tackles are able to absorb double teams. Those DNs, I think both DNs are, are fantastic, uh, both against the run against the, uh, and as pass rushers. But I think the key to them is that their, their ability to play together and they're all in units. So they're all uh, as one unit. So they're in sync in terms of the coverage, matches the fronts, matches the linebackers. Uh, if, they're big, if they're bringing people, they protect each other. They don't do a lot. They're not fancy, um, but they're really, really well organized and they play well and they're fundamentally sound and you got to beat them. And some teams you know are going to beat themselves. The Bengals aren't that team. Bengals, you have to beat them. And you can be done. Uh, any pro team can beat any pro team. But the Bengals are very sound defensively, and they run very well. What is it about this defense that has made Mahomes unable to beat them in three contests? I think just that. I don't think they give a lot of big plays. I don't think they have I, – I think they're pretty vanilla in, against Mahomes. So, you know, they're going to rush four, occasionally bring five, occasionally bring six. But they're going to be very vanilla in what they do. Uh, they're going to keep it in front. They're going to make Mahomes be patient. Um, I think they're going to be. I think they've done a good job against the run to kind of make them one-dimensional. As good as Mahomes is, no quarterback wants to be one-dimensional. Uh, they constantly. Um, I think what they do is they frustrate him in terms of they're willing to give up a couple things. Um, I think they're going to have the Bengals team to have a good plan for Kelsey uh, in terms of trying to bracket him, keep it inside and out. Uh, even though the Chiefs do a good job of moving him around. I think the Bengals are know that that's that's where Mahomes is looking, and um, you know players over plays is always my is always my slogan. And when Mahomes needs to play, he's going to Kelsey, and the Bengals do a good job of knowing that and taking that away, where other teams don't for some reason. So um, I think they're just very consistent in what they do. They they play the next play. They put them in tough down and distances. They make them one dimensional. Uh, they're pretty actually they're pretty boring. And that's a good thing when you're playing Mahomes is that you just do things right consistently. I like that you said vanilla. Sometimes hey, it's it's okay to have some vanilla ice cream. Vanilla's not always a bad flavor. You don't need your your Rocky Road or your peanut butter or your you know caramel mousse, whatever. Sometimes you just need a scoop of vanilla because simple is always best. Well, like you said, you know, that's very true. So when you think about like how they don't have any all pros, well, I like to I like to use it as grades. So maybe they don't have any A's, but they don't have any D's either on that defense. So there's a lot of A's, B's, and C's uh, on that defense. And when you get a lot of A's, B's, and C's playing together, they're pretty they're pretty good. They're in the right spot. They run around. They like each other. Um, the Bengals are a classic case of chemistry. Those guys like playing together. And if you know. I'm not a, uh, you know, I don't watch the Bengals every week, but when I watch them on film, they like playing together, and you can see that. Yeah, I see it in the locker room when they're playing ping pong, when they talk about each other in interviews, and, like, camaraderie is so big. We could do a whole other segment on that, but, and it's not to say that other teams don't have camaraderie because, I mean, championship teams have to have that, but no matter how much you weight lift, no matter how much you watch film, and, by the way, those are all important. Like, I'm not trying to downplay any Mm -hmm. of that. Watching film, weightlifting, you know, getting your mind right is important. But if you don't like who you're playing with, 
None of that matters because you have teams that are undisciplined, that have egos, who could win Super Bowls that just don't because they can't come together. This is not the case with the Bengals. They do come together because it's part of the culture Zach Taylor and Duke Tobin have been installing since Taylor's been the head coach. It all goes back to the vision that they've laid out with Joe Burrow being their tried and true leader. And that trickles down to everyone, not just the offense. And I'll actually be writing something about that here very soon about Burrow's leadership. Kind of a sneak peek for those wondering, but camaraderie is real. It's important. It's part of why this defense plays well. And it's why the Bengals are only one win away. From Super Bowl 57. It's pretty crazy to think. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll give you a great example. When I watched the game, I was breaking down the film, and there was a, a third and one where the Bengals uh, ran a toss to Mixon. Mixon got down to the five-yard line. That was actually a kill-kill play. So that means, you know, to me, that's two plays are called, and, you know, it's third and one. So there was a QB sneak. And then the Bills came up, had both A-gaps um, covered, and he killed it, and they ran a toss. And when they ran a toss, the person securing the edge was Jamar Chase. So that just tells you those guys are willing to block. Uh, Jamar Chase is willing to be a decoy to get other guys open. The uh, touchdown pass to Hunter Hurst, uh, Ch- Chase was just as excited as Hurst, and Chase is the one that got him open because he ran the quick screen, and everybody on Buffalo thought he was getting the ball on the quick screen on the, uh, on the third down. So um, they're pretty selfless. You can tell they're selfless. They enjoy each other. They enjoy each other. Uh, enjoy each other's success. Uh, it's very evident as a football guy. I've been involved in football my whole life. When you see that chemistry, yes, the X's and O's are important and all that. Obviously, you got to have players and all that kind of good stuff, but you got to like who you're playing with and you got to like practicing and you got to like you got to like that stuff. If you don't, um, you you don't win and you don't win at the level they're winning right now. So credit to them. They're uh, they're uh, a bunch who's rolling to momentum something, too, and they're rolling right now. They are indeed. Lance, never enough time on this podcast, but we will have you on more often. Um, And you can bet that if the Bengals make the Super Bowl, you will be hearing from us a lot more. So appreciate your time. Appreciate your presence. Um, We really appreciate it. Literally, like I can't say it enough. I'm glad to have you on, Lance. Thank you for your time. Well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Great time. Don't go away. We'll be right back on the Strictly Stripes podcast. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. So, Mike, we were, I was just talking with Lance. Um, he talked so much about the Bengals offense, and I do want to kind of nitpick some things he talked about. But the big thing he said about Patrick Mahomes, who I want to spend more time talking about, is the Bengals don't really have to do anything crazy out of the ordinary. That doesn't mean you can't be dynamic, but the way he summed it up is they just need to be vanilla. I don't know if he's just saying that because maybe that's what's worked for them against Mahomes or if it's because of the fact that he's dealing with the high ankle sprain, which we don't know how much it's going to affect him, even though he is going to play Sunday. But maybe it's because of that. Maybe it's a mix of both. But, you know, when you think of being vanilla against Patrick Mahomes, like what do you think of? What, what does that mean to you if you're Lou Anarumo and you're scheming up against Mahomes again? Uh, well, I, and I don't know the context of what he said, but um, I, I would assume that he meant like not to – be too aggressive and make force mistakes and let him, you know, try to force him to beat you, you know, keep everything underneath. Uh, don't let anything go, uh, you know, busts in, in the back end, like things like that. Uh, and sort of let your offense sort of dictate uh, the game. I mean, you saw kind of how they've had success uh, the last four weeks, getting up to those leads right off the bat. I think both teams, I think I saw sat with their, 12 and 0 this season when they score first, both teams are something like that. So, I, yeah, I think I give, saw that too. Obviously. That's kind of funny. Um, um, between the teams, um, and, and I think both teams want to sort of dictate, uh, you know, have their offenses dictate the game that way. And I think it's easier said than done if you, you do have the lead. Um, then, you know, a team does have to make plays. You know, Buffalo was forced uh, in, a, in a situation where, you know, they had to take some chances. They had to try to move the ball, and they ironically, you know, didn't take very many of them and sort of, you know, sort of stumbled to the finish line. But you wouldn't expect that from Kansas City. But it'll be all, you know, that coin toss and who takes the ball first could could be really important in that sort of aspect in terms of who gets to sort of dictate the pace and sort of, um, you know, play with that that uh, momentum on their shoulders. I mean, that made a, that was a big difference in the AFC Championship because the Chiefs had the ball to end the half. Um and Eli Apple and Trey Hendrickson saw Tyreek Hill at the goal line when the Chiefs opted to go for it instead of kicking a field goal, which made a big difference because that meant that the Bengals were able to take the lead in the fourth quarter because of that. They also had the ball to start the second half. The Chiefs did, and the Bengals 
would not let them score. They did not score. The Chiefs didn't score basically until that final drive when Harrison Butker tied it to send it to overtime, which again, like if you go for the field goal, then that's a game-winning field goal at that point, not a game-tying field goal. But instead they went for it and they didn't get it because I think in that case, I know the word momentum is overused, but it made sense in that case. I don't know what it's going to look like in this case because it's going to be a different game and similar setting obviously, but it's just a whole different game. But you even look at overtime. I remember if you watch the TV broadcast when you know the, the Chiefs won the coin toss in overtime. Chiefs fans thought they won the game, and well, here we are now. We all know what happened. So coin tosses, man, like whether it's Joe Mixon's coin toss or the game coin toss, I mean, coin tosses have just been everything in the last month. But when you're in the playoffs, plus the special circumstances, obviously, you know, coin tosses are definitely interesting. But, you know, with the run game, like, obviously, they've relied on Isaiah Pacheco and Jerick McKinnon because Clyde Edwards-Alaire has been out since week 11. He's on the IR with a high ankle sprain, although I'm seeing reports coming out of, you know, Kansas City that he could be pulled off the IR. Obviously, they're not going to decide that just yet, but there's a chance he may come back for the championship game. He didn't really do much last year uh, in that game. He's been decent this year, but, like, obviously, I think it's it's interesting how well Pacheco's played. He actually didn't have that bad of a game against the Bengals. McKinnon had a touchdown, and it was a receiving touchdown, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And it was actually pretty well drawn up by Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy. So, you know, if you're, again, if you're Luana Rumo and you're going against Juju Smith-Schuster, Kadarius Tony, who they got in a trade this year, and, of course, Juju Smith-Schuster as well, they got him this year, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, you know, what What do you do in the secondary to make sure that they don't have those explosive plays that they got away with a little bit back in December and that they definitely got away with back in the AFC Championship game? Well, I don't – I think Lou hinted at this uh, on – I don't know what day it was. Maybe it was Monday. Oh, it was Monday he talked. It was Monday. That, uh, it's been a long week. They could be just as dangerous not going over. You know, he said he noticed uh, – I think he mentioned uh, the last couple of weeks in terms of Travis Kelsey – uh, you know, just letting him work, basically. And he's just been destroying teams sort of yeah. yards after catch and sort of, uh, you know, just plowing through people. And um, that's a real real problem because that's yeah. hard to sort of steam up and stop. Uh, you know, just, you know, you can't prevent a guy from getting, you know, even a, a touch. So, um, you know, I, I don't think it's just as simple as saying, like, you know, take um, away, you know, the deep routes. I think, you know, last year, Tyreek Hill, that was such a, a danger just because he's um, an absolute, you know, unique type of receiver that, um, you know, sort of unmatched speed, you know, speed-wise. Um, and so, I mean, I think the challenge with, with Kelsey and sort of how uh, they've operated this offense is a little different. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, I don't know. It's just as simple of taking away one thing. I think it's sort of, you know, how do you limit – sort of the damage just overall, um, you know, and trying to pick your spots. Uh, this team's really obviously, um, you know, got a lot of talent, um, got, you know, very, um, in terms of play calling, just, just so good uh, at, at getting their skilled positions the ball and getting them in space. And, um, and then you have Mahomes, uh, you know, kind of to <laughs> make your life miserable. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't, that, it's not a simple thing, you know, and they've won three in a row against them and, um, obviously, that's a huge, you know, it's really, really impressive. And, and Travis Kelsey, I'm looking at uh, Pro Football Focus, credited him with 55 yards after the catch uh, last week. Uh, so, um, you know, and you kind of look, he's over 50 yards three of the last five games. Um, you know, so you, you can kind of see what damage he can do um, just by just literally just having the ball, you know, just at the line of scrimmage. You know, one thing Logan Wilson said, because he's going to be, I think him and Jermaine, Brack, Jermaine Pratt are going to be bracketed against, you know, Kelsey. Like, he said, you have to shut him down. Like, if not shut him down, actually, I, I misquoted him. He said you have to limit him. Because he had, like, what, 14 catches last week? And, I mean, that makes sense because with the way Mahomes was playing with the high ankle sprain, he pretty much relied on him. Kelsey, I want to say, won the game just as much as Mahomes, if not more. Um, so, yeah, like, Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt are going to be so busy. They're going to have their hands full. But here's the thing, though. They can do it because they have done it already. Specifically, like I mentioned a few minutes ago in the uh, game in December back in Cincinnati, that play Jermaine Pratt made may have been one of the biggest plays of his career. 
if not his career, at least one of the biggest plays this season, because that's what allowed the ball the ball to go back to the Bengals and you know allowed Joe Burrow to set up a go ahead touchdown um, that ultimately helped the game stay in the Bengals' favor, which is why they're three zero against uh, Mahomes since Burrow's been there. And then I think when you you look at back at some of the clips in the AFC Championship last year. This was at least in the second half because in the first half, Kelsey burned them for a touchdown and he just went off with Tyreek Hill and Nicole Hardman. But in the second half, I noticed they were clouding him a little more. And like as soon as the ball would get to him, they did a better job of defending the pass um, through clouding him, through just, I think, hand placement defensively where they were just, you know, kind of knifing the ball out. And, you know, that was a lot of Trey Flowers. That was a lot of, you know, Jesse Bates, Von Bell. Like, they were really involved in that. And it's so crazy because, you know, they they played more cover eight because one minute they were on Hill, the next minute they were on Kelsey, especially on third down. And then this year it was more, rather than the cover eight, you know, it's more cover one with some disguised blitz, which is where I think they threw off Mahomes on that last drive that, you know, he got sacked by Osai, Joseph Osai, and he missed, you know, they missed that field goal, which allowed the Bengals put it away. I don't know how different it's going to be from December. I don't know if it's going to be exactly the same game plan, but I think what is going to be similar is you're going to have to see a lot of disguises. You're going to have to throw Mahomes off with a lot of blitzes. Because, like, here's the thing, like you said, and kind of like Lance said, if you do too much, he's just going to go one-on-one with with his man-to-man receivers because he can do that. But if you keep it simple to where he can't find an open guy, you know, you win in coverage, but you're also throwing him off in the pocket where maybe Sam Hubbard is the spy like he was last time in the AFC Championship. Or you just – you throw him off kilter to the point where, like, he can't move as well because of his ankle that it's going to be a long day. That's all it really takes. You just have to throw him off kilter. I think that's – I'd say that's the biggest thing is just throw Mahomes off. And, and like we said earlier, just you can't do too much. Yeah, I mean, I don't – you know, from what we've seen, it doesn't look like, you know, that ankle is bothering him all that much this week. So, I mean, I don't know how much you can sort of just rely on him, you know, not being mobile. Uh, you know, I don't think that they're sort of going to bank on that um, right. in terms of, you know, their strategy. Um, and, and, you know, he's not an easy guy to fluster. I mean, he's a uh, obviously, I mean, I, MVP, you know, I think everybody kind of figures that that's how that'll all shake out. So, um yeah, I mean, you could try to throw him off. You could try to do things. I mean, if his mobility is a little bit limited, I mean, that would certainly help because, I mean, that is a huge weapon in his arsenal. And, um, you know, that ability can really uh, uh, burn you when you when you try to take a gamble. Um, but, I mean, uh, you know, those are questions I don't think we'll have an answer to until we get to Sunday. Uh, but I think from what we've seen based on his practice uh, availability and some of the videos of him just moving, you know, I remember you know, Brett Favre with his high ankle sprain at the end of his career, you know, couldn't even get up on the podium. He was so, you know, so, you know, high ankle sprains can be uh, a very, very severe and it doesn't look like his, uh, you know, uh, no boot when he was talking to the media, was walking fine. Uh, it didn't look like that sort of was on that end of the spectrum. So Kansas City certainly got to be happy based on, you know, the sort of nightmare scenario they were picturing last year in Jack, I mean, last week in Jacksonville, where uh, he's even going to be able to finish that game, finishes the game, didn't come, doesn't come out necessarily, uh, you know, worse for wear. Um, I, I think that's a huge, a huge deal. And you've seen it. I think that's why the betting odds have flipped and, and the Bengals now are underdogs again, because I think people figure that uh, you're going to get Mahomes at closer to 90, 95% than you were, you know, uh, at the beginning of the week when you thought maybe, you know, he would be pretty limited. Yeah, the Chiefs opened the week as favorites, then the Bengals became favorites, then it became a pick 'em, and as of Thursday when we're taping this, as you said, they are the Chiefs are favorites. So, like Joe Mixon says, One overdog, point, yeah. underdog, they don't care. They just want to go in and win. But to really put a bow on this, Mike, you know, you look at the way all these games have gone. And I know we're looking at a small sample size of 3 games. That's about to become four games. And, I mean, we haven't talked to Burrow about this because there's really nothing to talk about because we know he doesn't like these comparisons. But, like, this Burrow versus Mahomes storyline, I know no one's really talked about it because, like, it was pretty much exhausted a month ago and there's really not much to say about it now. But And I kind of talked to Andrew about this. But, like, number one, if Burrow really, like, if he beats him in his own home, in his own stadium, and he's 4-0 – Against Mahomes, two times on the road, two times at home. 
how much more do we move towards the Burrow versus Mahomes uh, mentality slash storyline? And number two, I mean, like for the longest time, like the echelon of the AFC was the Colts, the Patriots, and when Ben Roethlisberger came, the Steelers. In some ways, do you feel like the upper echelon now is like the Bengals, the Chiefs, and the Bills? As opposed to what? I mean, it's been the Chiefs. The Chiefs have made five straight AFC Championship games, so I mean, they're obviously the upper echelon. I mean, yeah. been, since Mahomes has been there, um, and I think that um, you know, obviously Burrow will have if he wins this, will have the upper hand in sort of that specific rivalry. But I think you also have to th- say that you know they're both sort of on the right end of their careers in terms of you know longevity that. Um, there could be plenty of matchups uh, left. And so, I mean, I know it's sort of a, what have you done for me now? But I mean, in terms of uh, what, what Mahomes has done, I mean, he has a Super Bowl. He has five AFC championships. Like if Burrow wins this week and then loses championship next Championship game appearances. Yeah, I, I, but what, what won uh, the Super Bowl? But I mean, I'm so like if Burrow loses next week and Mahomes still has the Super Bowl, I mean, what, what would, who would you rather be? You'd obviously be rather be... Uh, have Mahomes sort of resume than you would Burroughs. Um, so, uh, you know, there's a lot of that story left to write in a lot of years if they stay healthy. And I think both of them sort of, I, I think that whole group, uh, a crop of quarterbacks um, sort of see, um, ex- you know, fun days ahead in terms of Josh Allen. I think Justin Herbert and, and San Diego, you know, if they coaching staff can put things together. Uh, yeah, L.A. Uh, the Chargers. <laughs> it's okay, I know uh, you're used to it. The uh, the Chargers can get things together. You know, that's a, a guy that can, I think, eventually move into that uh, that grouping. So, um, you know, I'm, I always hesitate to sort of, uh, you know, if he wins, that's the greatest thing in the world. But you know, it's there's there's going to be plenty of matchups to them down the road for for Mahomes to I think flip that script. I mean, you know, they got this, they got each other in the regular season next year, uh, and then you know they could do it two two times again. So I mean, it could easily sort of uh, even the score. Yeah, they also get Josh Allen next year, too, after beating them in the playoffs. So you got Allen, you got Mahomes. Um, they don't have Herbert next year. That is not on schedule next year. But um, they did play them last year. Herbert actually came to Cincinnati and beat the Bengals pretty good. And he actually had a great game. Not that Burrow didn't play well. Um, Herbert just played that well. I think the Bengals defense didn't have one of their best games of the year, which is crazy because that's like that was kind of in the second half of the year when you'd think they'd be hot. But... Herbert is a tough one for me because the talent is there. Like, I hear what you're saying, but – and I'm probably just being really cruel because of what happened in Jacksonville a few weeks ago. But if I'm going to put Herbert in that conversation, I have to see him win playoff games first. I, maybe I'm being unfair because that's not all to put on him. I mean, the Chargers just absolutely had one of the worst meltdowns in NFL playoff history. But you can't tell me he didn't have anything to do with the fact that they only scored three points in the second half. I think I had a lot to do with him, so I am going to put some blame on him there. And that was only his first playoff appearance. Like, talk about Mahomes. He's already been uh, two Super Bowls, could go to another one this weekend. Burrow's already been to one Super Bowl, and him and Herbert were drafted the same round. Um, and Bur- Burrow's already in the second AFC Championship game based on longevity for only three years. That's pretty good, especially when you didn't even play your whole rookie year. I mean, with Josh Allen, yeah, he's – again, I mean – He's gotten the short end of the stick in the playoffs, but like he still made an AFC championship. He still won playoff games. He's still been an MVP preseason favorite. I think at some point we can put Herbert in that mix. I just don't think we can right now. And again, I'm probably being a little bit harsh because maybe it'd be different if the Chargers didn't lose that game. But I don't know. I think I'd rather put Trevor Lawrence in that conversation. I know he has not been great his first two years, but he's only gotten better and better. And I think with Doug Peterson being there and having the weapons he has, like Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram, you could definitely put Jacksonville in that mix. And, I mean, I know, obviously, they almost won based on the luck of Mahomes playing on one leg. But, like, they didn't make self-inflicted mistakes. They could have pulled up one of the all-time upsets. So, I'd say Lawrence over Herbert. But, again, that could all change next year. It could change tomorrow for all we know. You're, you're, you're shaking your head like you're in disarray. That's that I... opinion, but that's okay. Everybody's allowed to be wrong. <laughs> well... Again, like I said, that's going to be something fun to watch. But, again, we're focused on the here and now, and that's the AFC Championship game. And speaking of which, tomorrow, Andrew, Mike, and I are going to have our final predictions, previews, give our last thoughts, and compare and contrast some of the biggest names entering this game. But it's going to be a lot of fun. 
Once again, for myself, Mike Nislik, and our special guest, Lance Reisland, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Take care, folks.